So I would like our two speakers um, to also um, tell us what comparative criticism is for them, how they would define it um, like briefly, and what kind of work, in their perspective, uh, comparative criticism entails. Um, so, Juan I would like to start. Are we going to bounce the questions? Because you sent us very helpfully five questions, which yes. I liked. So maybe we'll do one question and then we'll move. Sure. I thought about like yeah. uh, asking both of you all the questions, but okay. do as you feel more comfortable. Yeah, what do you like? What, what have you like on the side? He says that all the time. I do. That's never true. That's always true. So maybe we'll, we'll start with this thing that looks strange to people, which is comparative criticism, because people have heard of comparative literature, but not really comparative criticism per se. But I was intrigued because, because I think the question was, can you, how would you define comparative criticism in one sentence? And then I started thinking, okay, a sentence itself is a term that needs comparison. So how about a sentence what? James Joyce, a sentence, or Henry James, sentence, or um, a seventh century uh, Arabic literator who, who said basically for me rhetoric is you starve the uh, expression and feed the meaning. So the less expression, the more the meaning. Um, and I thought that maybe, maybe I'll, just, I'll just think of the aims actually. So, so for me, the aim at least, and I wanted to call it this way, of comparative criticism for me is mutual elimination of literary texts and of course works of art and methods of criticism by, look, by looking at them in comparison. Sure. That's my sentence. Yeah. <laughs> where, I, where I start the expression, I try to feed the meaning. Yeah. In the list of questions I was sent, it didn't have the thing about having to do it in a sentence, so I could probably a bit more. Yes. Didn't face quite that challenge. So we we'll take away um, from that? Yeah. I mean, uh, th for me, the thing is about um, c comparative comparison, also the method of the critical practice. Um, so the, ch the train of thought that leads to that is the old question of what are the limits of the thing called comparative literature? Well, it has no limits. Um, what's the content of the thing called world literature? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's very, 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 very large. And so what follows from that is the perception that you know, there's, there's no single discipline called comparative literature that can only be comparative literature as it's practiced in a particular institution from a particular point of view for particular purposes. There can be no generalized thing called world literature that can only be a critical practice that is open to larger horizons, which is projecting a kind of world in inverted commas, again, from a particular point of view. So our, the thing that we wanted to sort of bring to the debate as a group when we started three or four years ago was saying, okay, we need to be attentive, think about our own critical practices. Um, so one way in which that seems to me to, to sort of kind of bite, really, is there's a whole... Um, is in, I mean, and, and this, this, and it, it seems to, so I, I, I came up through the discipline of English literature, um, and the question about how critical writing relates to creative writing, you know, what that move is when you, you know, you're reading a literary text and then you do something that counts as literary criticism or scholarship about it, what, what happens in that, in that kind of shift. Um, it seemed to me that when you're working in a comparative literature or a world literature arena, that, um, Order becomes especially tense because it's often one um, in which issues about language use and language standardisation are, are, are very marked. 
So, for instance, I've been reading recently not not just one, but a whole, a whole series of books that, that celebrate developing multilingual practice, the global novel, which has many languages brought together um, in it, and they make claims for you know the, the cultural excitement and cognitive value of texts like this that mix languages together in interesting ways across cultures. But these books are themselves written in a very standardised variety of American academic English and in a very standardised form. And obviously there are reasons for kind of shifts of genre between creative writing and critical writing, but it seems to me there's a, there's a problem there. Um, and so one of the things we wanted to do as a, as a group, really, was to try out um, different modes of, you know, more relaxed, uh, perhaps more multilingual, more conversational, more collaborative modes of critical practice, often in dialogue with creative writers and so on and so on, involving foregrounding translation and so on, in order to think about... Um, what the institution of what the the institution of our critical practice is itself doing, and I suppose just the last the last thing really is there's a lot of you know thinking about what what counts as world literature or how should we define world literature, but I think there's not enough attention to the way in which university practice and university institutions themselves are part of that, you know, and so the question then of 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 what we bring together in what way, in order to do what, becomes a, you know, is a, is a crucial question for us, really, isn't it? Mm. Um, so if, you, if you're happy with that, yeah. I would just attach the, the yeah. um, second question, which is now starting from this overview, um, can you tell us like more in particular in what ways your research is comparative? Like, what, what are you comparing or uh, considering mm. together? Like cultures, ages, media, cultures, languages. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a good, it's a, it's a good question, really. I mean, my my, my work has all been about um, tra translating recently. Um, so I did a big, big book called the Poetry of Translation, which is about. Um, poetry translations in English from many different periods as a kind of particularly creative um, form. And since then, the work I've been doing has mainly been kind of methodological and conceptual, really. Um, so work to do with, we did a collaborative project together about borders. Um, I've been doing, I'm doing lots of collaborative work to do with, to do with translation and ways of thinking about translation in different ways, for instance, as a as a practice that necessarily generates multiples rather than as a practice that's subjected to the discipline of, of, of comparison. Um, but the way, um, I think, the way thinking about translation leads into or kind of overlaps with or, or raises issues for the larger field of comparative literature is that it puts a particular kind of pressure on this word comparison. Um, and I'm, I'm quite... A, you know, worried about or alert to or something I think everyone should, should think about, which is to say what, as soon as you think of yourself as comparing, I mean that question of what it is that is compared. So if you think about translation, and translations are typically aligned with a kind of, you know, the translation and the source text, and you compare them, and you compare them looking for similarities and differences. But that's a particularly, that's a particular regime, you know, and that, that looks for particular things in one text, and it looks for particular things in another text. It defines the relation between them in a particular way. Um, and if you think about translation instead as, you know, if you say, well, okay, actually these are the same work, you know, these are stages in the development of the same work, then what you're, you know, comparison doesn't work in the same way. I mean, I'm quite alert to the, the, the way in which the, the act of comparison kind of exerts a limiting and defining pressure on what gets brought into its kind of grammar or 
this kind of tweezers in a way. Yeah. So, so if I, if I um, just um, return to Matthew was talking about earlier, the academic setting. I started comparative literature in an American setting, in American university, and it was it was in a department of comparative literature. And, and two, I was struck by two things, and I think they never left me since, and, and, they, and they show in what I do, or the way I also think of comparative literature. So one of them is, is the uni, the, the one uh, directional movement of knowledge, for example, and critical practice. What, what do I mean by that? I was at a department where you, you studied theory and Western critical practice and applied it to non Western uh, literary works. So that one direction. Um, the other direction also has to do with, as you know, is, 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 is in key terms of comparative literature, at least the old ones that have been, were there for a long time, now have been looked at again. For example, the question of, inf of influence, where you have always one direction, is that you have more or less first texts, and the other texts are kind of second versions Therefore, they come to us as already read or already known. So if I read, if I read the Mahfouz, of course, my, my, my uh, guide will be Balzac, for example, huh? or Flaubert, or Dickens, or whatever. So that one direction, one, me coming personally from the Arabic context, both culturally and politically and, 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 uh, and academically, that's that was an interesting, an interesting point for me to actually look at and start thinking about. The other point was, has to do with this question, okay, then um, if I'm going to retreat and try to analyze these literatures that I know, let's say Arabic literature, through Arabic tools of literature, am I not then interrupting any form of dialogue with anything outside Arabic literature? Am I retreating in some forms of provincialism? So comparative literature, what it did for me, and, and you know this debate, of course, Moretti did it, and several others did this debate. So what, what comparative criticism, at least in my, in my mind theoretically, allowed me to do is to say, okay, how can I then uh, get out of the provincialism with its variations, nationalism, uh, whatever you, you like, uh, by having a global or world view. I mean, there is that famous uh, um, phrase that, that the, Comparative literature is is a thorn in the side in the thigh of the in the side of, of world world of world literature, and the other way around could be true. So national literatures, national literatures, yeah, national literatures. Therefore, you can read them. Now, this is the theoretical part. What about the practice? So, my first project was on on a, a Tunisian writer who likes to embed his writing in appealing to readers' knowledge of classical Greek tragedy, but also of Arabic literature of the, of the 8th, 9th, and 10th century, but also modern literature, uh, French literature, and so on. So how, how actually to best approach it? And at that time, I thought, okay, why, if I'm going to study, for example, the concept of borrowing intertextuality, um, relationship with other texts, Arabs have talked about this. So how about I rely on both? critical traditions developed in, let's say, 10th century uh, Arabic context, and critical traditions developed, let's say, in 20th century French and, and Western context. So it's not only looking at the text, but also comparing the two methods. And we will come to the problems with that. But that's at least, that's at least the promise. <laughs> yeah, let's come to the problems, because of course, there are some, some limitations. Sometimes, like, 
myself when when I uh, started to like work at my project, I had some uh, feedback by people asking me, yeah, and what do you hope to find out? Like you can't even treat properly just one of these <laughs> authors. What do you hope to find out by like treating more of them and looking for these very specific things in more of them? So yeah, that that I think would be the next questions. What are the, the limitations we should be aware of, and how do we deal with them, really? Well, an institutional one, and then another one. The institutional one, just to carry from from what Matthew was talking about. The institutional one, as as you know, the university and the university discourse and university practice is really continues to be discipline oriented. Is that's how we still get training, and Oxford is a very good example of that. There are other universities that have moved on. Oxford have not moved a lot, that's why we're doing OCCT here. So part of it is, is that your work is like to be read and judged by in disciplinary terms. I'm going to be read by Arabists, for example, who are going to look at this and say, well, his knowledge of the language is not that great, or his knowledge of the detail of the historical background is not perfect. Um, or if it's going to be read by people from other disciplines, they said, well, the training really here, this person clearly has not read Henry James and doesn't know the 19th century tradition. So, so we have this, and this is a perennial problem for comparative literature. You have, the, you have that, that kind of work. We'll, we'll come back later to say how we actually should face that. That would be the, the last one. So that's one. The other one is, of course, the obvious one, which is a linguistic one. Um, obviously, comparatists, and that's why I like them. They're all multilingual in various forms, and and so on. But there are only certain uh, uh, number of languages you can actually work with and actually be fully versed with. And as you know, in your daily practice, it's going to take double the effort to actually not only learn these languages, but to actually learn those literatures, to actually read the secondary literature written in those languages. And and, and as 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 postgraduate students, you're all aware if you're writing in French, even though you're, you're, you're working on French, for example, uh, 19th century poetry, but you're writing in English, you're supposed to know the critical tradition in French about the 19th century poetry, in addition to the English tradition and so on. So it's not an easy thing to do. So that could be a limitation. Probably, probably Matthew has other limitations in mind. Yeah, many limitations. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Could I just yeah. ask, Kasha, would you switch on the lights? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Could I also ask you both to speak up a bit? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. So, so, um, yeah. So the question about expertise is really is is the tricky one, isn't it? You're always liable to be ambushed by someone, and I think it's a it's a challenge for us. I mean, so part of the way we're meeting that institutionally in Oxford is by having this, you know, this research program and this group, which is to say, one of the things you know, a discipline is, is a way of kind of forming groups, groups of people who share, who share views. Um, I think, uh, and, also, and I think one of the challenges for us actually intellectually is to create an account of, because there's a sort of, there's a kind of too relaxed mode of comparative, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you, you know, you're, you're in a kind of comparative literature environment and you get the people, everyone's chatting about stuff that they don't really know very much. They, they don't know very much about, and somehow that's okay. And um, and actually, when Emily, Ap I was very sorry, Emily Apter was introducing me to the, you know, the distinguished American comparatist Emily Apter was introducing me to someone in the ICLA uh, this summer, and she said, Matthew has this group in Oxford where people actually know stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I think, a, a, you know, but by having wider horizons, you're working 
uh, you know, there's some of the stuff hopefully that you can claim to have scholarly expertise in, but you're working in relation to other stuff that you don't have scholarly expertise in. And I think there needs to be an account or we need to sort of think about or have a way of describing and justifying that, that kind of, um, that, that those shifts really, which is to say, and that's about, it's part of an endeavor of describing humanity's work in terms of, you know, uh, skills, I suppose, more than in terms of knowledge, which is to say that it's important, one of the things that's important, you know, and if you're thinking about comparative criticism as an educational discipline that students might want to come and then go out into the world to do different things having, having done it. Um, I think the question of how you operate in a sphere where you only have expertise in some things and not in other things is a, is a really important question. Um, and I think you know, there are some traditional modes of academic literary scholarship where what you do is you become expert in something, but in order to become expert in it, it has to be, it has to be narrow. And the way of dealing with the stuff you're not expert in is typically by ignoring it. You know? um, so, so, but then as soon as you don't ignore it, then you feel at risk. And so I think sort of, sort of being aware of that is, is important. And obviously, you know, the way around it is collaborating. Um, and almost everything I'm doing at the moment is, is collaborative. That's very rich, really, isn't it? So that yeah. could be one of the ways to deal with th this sort of limitation. Like, what, what do you mean by collaborating? Like, going and asking, oh, this person is yeah. uh, well, I mean, skilled it's, in this, yeah. and let's, let's ask her advice. Or Yeah, I mean, it's probably about, you know, when I did the book called The Poetry Translation, quite a lot of it was about translation from Latin. My Latin you know, I'm not a scholar in Latin, so I sent all those bits to, you know, a proper scholar in Latin to to check out but I mean in OCCT and in this group and in the seminars that we do and in the kind of publications that we put together we deliver you know we write things collaboratively we share develop ideas collaboratively and I'm not quite sure what to say about that but what do you think well I think for others yeah. just just to um, yeah. mention an example that for, it's for others to 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 judge for example, those of you who read the introduction to the special issue, you will have seen that we actually have three different people writing it. So, so one way of collaborating is that your voice is there, but there is a, a general thing that, that works together. So that's always the problem with comparative literature and comparative work, is how your voice doesn't get drowned mm -hmm. uh, while you are sort of being worldly, so to speak, in that other sense. Um, I mean, obviously, um, in one way, we could, we could argue that basically comparatism and, and working with more than one language, working with a variety of art forms and so on, is the direction of the world, is the reality of the world. That's how the world is. Uh, really, this is how it functions. And more and more, that's how it is. These things are, are intersected and so on. Um, so um, to come back to probably ways of we could confront, even within the pieces of writing and so on, and I think my view is we should not really shy away from the beginning to say, okay, this is really my method for my way of approaching this variety of texts, um, and these are my limitations. I found that very useful. For example, in the project I'm working on, I just finished a paper uh, called New Humanism in Times of Torture. And, and, and obviously, as you can see, you can't really deal with the question of humanism and torture without really thinking globally. I mean, you're dealing with the basic thing. And for me, there's really no difference between writings written in Argentina or South Africa or Egypt or in Tunisia or Algeria about this, this subject and others. So, so 
for, for, for me, since I'm taking that literature, and by the way, I'm not necessarily establishing any hierarchy between those literatures, so part novels or uh, there are, and this is another disciplinary problem, is how you actually put a novel and, let's say, uh, life writing together and what kind of methodology you're going to be using in order for the but, but since you're working with this um, discussion that people have trying to make sense of what makes another human being torture me, what makes human beings actually deliberately in uh, uh, affect this extreme harm or another, it's a reflection on us as a human being. So it makes no sense that I deal with it in one particular setting. And you have to kind of be upfront about this. But at the same time, you could be saying, at the same time, I'm going to leave out this and that, and I can't read, read, I can't read some of the African languages. I'm, I'm, uh, but you know, so so this is for me one, one way of actually uh, approaching this. Be, be upfront about the limitation, but also the, pr the, the, the the promise of this method as opposed to other methods, if you like. Uh, I found that very useful. Okay, so being clear and like having in mind really uh, what we're looking for and, and explaining... Uh, well, the reason I'm saying this is because comparatists and in, 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 in world literature people are often accused of actually not knowing a lot, but actually speaking from a point of view of authority, mm. position of authority. Mm. This is, those of you who do this know that. Huh? Mm -hmm. um, so how you actually, we learn uh, to be humble enough to actually, from the beginning, you have to say, well, these are actually limitations, but I'm, I'm perhaps introducing into the discussion something that a regular discipline does not uh, do. Mm. Okay, so I'm, I'm done with my questions, and I would so invite everyone to start asking their own questions or posing their own problems. I, I wanted to add one, yeah. one more thing, because, because uh, it just has to do for me personally, for example, I have, I have an aversion to truth with capital T. Mm. And for me, the only thing to combat that internally and in any discourse is actually comparison. Is actually, mm -hmm. and, and I found that the absolute fundamental uh, um, thing to do, religions to be taught, when basically our world is run by truths with big T, and the, and the only thing we can do that is actually relativize them by actually showing there are other truths out there, there are other aesthetics out there, there are other approaches to these aesthetics out there as well. So I, I can confirm. That's <laughs> very true. So, for those of you who are shy of the mic, I'm just turning it off.